Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for 16 hours. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you showing man? A World Cup knockout classic featuring seven goals and a passing of the torch to football's teenage superstar? Check. The second smallest country in the competition producing the latest in a lifetime of huge World Cup victories? Check. Elimination of one of the tournament favourites by the extremely unfancied host nation? Check. And last night, an incredible opening couple of minutes, which just about gave Croatia and Denmark enough money in the bank to keep us engaged through the rest of the Boar Fest before the spectacular payoff at the end. Check, 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 check. It's World Cup 2018, everybody. You do not have to go far to find the drama. You're very welcome to the first Second Captain's World Cup podcast of the week and of the month. Hello, Murph. Hello, hello there, Onzi. How are you? I'm great. Richard Dunn told a lovely story. I, I don't like using that nickname, but... What? Onzi. <laughs> Mr. McDevitt. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, July's a whole new month, old. That's how you like the. That's how you see this ship sailing. Richard Dunn told a nice story on RTE last night. He lives in Monaco and he went along to a game a couple of years ago. This lad comes off the bench mm-hmm. and nobody even recognised him. Starts ripping it up. Dunn was there with his son, who was seven at the time. The young lad's absolutely agog, watching it going, who is. Dad, who is this guy? I mean, this is my dad, the professional footballer. He'll, yeah, he'll know yeah. And Dunn didn't even have a match program with him. So did not know the player's name, let alone anything about him whatsoever. It was a nice illustration of the point I've heard people making that Kylian Mbappe sort of just arrived as a fully formed footballer at yeah. Monaco with all the attributes. And these are attributes that were on show for the world to see this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, my French is a little rusty, Murph, but I believe that might have been the fourth goal. Yes, four the to, to the Blues. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I've listened as intently to that. Uh, fr- to since your French oral French. exam. Yeah, exactly, yeah, but uh, oral, actually. Oral. oral, I should say, yeah. yeah. Is there an actual torch that gets passed from Messi to Mbappe? I've heard a lot. Is it, is it in the dressing room afterwards? So many questions. If so, is there an argument that Cristiano Ronaldo actually has the torch 2,000 kilometres away in Sochi? Maybe they each have a torch ready? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, it, it, the whole torch passing thing mm-hmm. is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Because if Lionel Messi had, you know, taken the torch from the previous incumbent, say Ronaldinho or something, at a World Cup, then it might be interesting. You know, but like these kind of seismic shifts in who becomes the world's best player, it doesn't happen at the World Cup anymore. No. Which is unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. You know, that, uh, you know, in the Champions League, you know, if PSG beat Barcelona in the new Camp 3-0 and Mbappe scores a hat-trick, that to me seems like, you know, perhaps a more relevant pa- passing of any, you know, fictitious torch that we no, haven't been talking about. Can't, can't be having that. Yeah. Well, no, 
What what more do you want from a 19-year-old than to score two goals and absolutely, pardon the pun, Murph, torch the Argentinian yeah. defence all day long? I actually, I, I, this isn't about Mbappe at all. It's it's really about Messi. You know, Messi still has a couple of years in the best of the world. <laughs> oh, you know what Messi's, I mean? The two people most annoyed by that analysis, three people actually, are Messi, yeah. who does not feel he's ready to pass the torch, Ronaldo, who feels the torch belongs to him, and Neymar, who assumes the torch is on the way to yeah. him. <laughs> He's bagsied it, but unfortunately, that's not no, how it. it that that's not how it works. You have to do something in this World Cup, yeah. And the whole idea that Neymar is actually a teammate, the the torch is going to be in <laughs> Neymar's dressing room, yeah. but not in his kit bag, mm-hmm. will be, I would say, a force of a source of some frustration. Luckily for Ronaldo, Edison Cavani is already in his thirties, therefore too old to receive the torch. Mm. If you have to be at, at the oldest 20, 21 years of age, really to listen, you're stop torch, talking about the torch. Your torch receiving game is shot after the, your mid twenties. Well, we we'll, all know that. We've got Philippe Claire today to tell us if the young man is ready for the sort of pressure that will be coming his way. And Ken's got some post match reaction from Moscow yesterday. Unbelievable scenes there where Spain were dumped out by Russia. Four more quarterfinals still to come, including Brazil versus Mexico. That's today, and England against Colombia tomorrow. We're going to bring you all the reaction to those ones on our daily World Cup pod on the World Service. It's the start of a brand new month and remember there are no year-long contracts or anything like that. You can just sign up for a month if you want until the end of July if you'd like to just sample the kind of stuff we're doing. Stuff like this. Yeah, you can also hear this kind of thing. Oh, it's a wonderful game what we are playing here. (laughs) The the very German Lothar Matthäus speaking there on BN Sports. Uh, And I'll throw you one more short clip on it. You know, the French were like, flair, flair! You know, Eric Cantona... Uh, Michel Platini. Um, na- give me some other lunatic French players. Didier Cisse. Um, Didier Cisse. Yeah, you know, just, just like, rah, like yeah. tearing off their shirts and saying, shoot, you know, rah, just exposing their, their naked breasts to the cannon fire. You know, not <laughs> an effective battle tactic at all. But, you know, <laughs> wow, wow. Well, they certainly did it this time. Um, <laughs> well, it was, that. They, they were the right side of the cannon as well this time. So, And just in case you're worried about how Ken is getting on with all the travelling, don't worry, he's staying so fresh and so clean. What I thought was a seat was in fact a bunk, top bunk, coffin shaped. I was like, I do hope they turn the air conditioning on in this train and I'm sweating quite profusely. There was a sort of an old Russian woman in the bunk underneath mine, kind of grabbing at me like to get out of the bed. No, yet, 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 yet. She went to sort of the little service area of the carriage and came back with like a little packet of sheets. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh. So good next to the skin, Alan. So good next to the skin, Alan. I said, oh, spasibo, spasibo, babushka. I tried to take the sheets. She's like, no, no, I have none of it. I started putting the sheets on the bed for me. I was like trying to help. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was just lying on that sort of sticky, musty mattress thing. But it turns out that they give you like a whole pack of sheets that you can spread out. Fresh and clean. Yeah. And, oh. So good next to the skin, out. Left almost all the way to Moscow. So good next to the skin, Alan. What a nice way to pass six hours in the train that was. <laughs> Why was he talking for so long about sheets? Who knows? Who knows, son? It's not our it's not our business to go asking such questions. You can have all of that for only five euro a month. Join up now on secondcaptains.com. We'd be delighted to see you on the other side. Right now it is time to locate Ken. A voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, mate, that's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. Things are annoying to watch. Uh, I got locked in a toilet. But what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway? What a boy you are. Ken, we're speaking to you from Samara Airport, I believe. Yes, uh, Owen, it is Samara Kuramok Airport, as in Leinish Kuramok. Nagesha, August Nesorica, Gowan, Liquid, B. You were flying with the Mexicans. Good, good traveling companions? Mexicans and Brazilians. Yeah. More Mexicans uh, on my flight, but there's plenty of Brazilians here now that I can see. Um, good traveling companions. 
I mean, fine. Absolutely fine. I don't have any problem with Mexicans, Owen. Uh, and I'll, I'll take issue with anyone who says that I do. Um, but the flight was delayed for two hours, which set my teeth slightly on edge. I'm not going to lie to you about that. And the boarding process was a little chaotic. And I did sit, I sat there in my seat and I watched these um, Mexican fans boarding. And there was one particular moment when everybody behind, I mean, all of the people waiting to get on the plane were standing there while a guy in about row, uh, seat six or row six stood, stood in the aisle, blocking obviously everybody behind him. He was standing there waiting patiently with a sombrero in his hand, trying to figure out how he was going to put it into the overhead locker without, I suppose, squashing it out of shape in some way. <laughs> and everybody was standing uh, behind him. And what struck me about these people was how incredibly patient and unannoyed they seemed to be by something which, even simply watching them standing there, not being annoyed by what this man was doing, made me furious <laughs> as I sat there uh, in, my, in my seat, sort of, you know, drumming my feet against the ground and thinking, is there, any, is there any chance this plane might take off at some point in the next 40 minutes so, you know, we can get out to Samara? I mean, Samara, it's not exactly just a short hop. Oh, and it is like, uh, I mean, somewhere in the endless uh, green expanses of central Russia, uh, by the banks of the Volga, uh, it's really, really hot here. I mean, like 36 degrees. It's like coming down in the plane, you just see this sort of heat haze and then this like, you know, out of the heat haze comes this green uh, and empty land uh, and then the river, which is massive, obviously, uh, and then isolated settlements, green and empty land, shimmering heat haze, thick, viscous heat haze, uh, finally off the plane, finally off the plane and finally standing here on the, uh, the uh, uh, forecourt of Kuramok International Airport. And uh, ready to talk to you about the World Cup. Absolutely. This is the strangest location you've ever given us a report on sport from. I'm surprised you can move it all around the country, Ken, for all the Russians knocking themselves out with laughing gas after that incredible occasion you were at. Yes, you were in Moscow. Yes, you are at the game, right? I was in Moscow. I was in Moscow. I was at the game. Unlike uh, President Putin... I turned up for the big moment. I was there for the big show. Although, to be honest, I kind of feel like I missed it because owing to having to get up early for this uh, early flight to Samara that turned out not to be that early, I couldn't really go and, uh, and see the street party, which I understand was pretty much like a second falling of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> this time it was the Berlin Wall in people's minds. The Berlin Wall in the minds of the authorities here. Why don't we just let people... Stand in the middle of the road, blocking all the traffic, completely paralyzing the city and bringing it to a standstill, uh, and rave until like six o'clock in the morning. Bearing in mind that it gets bright here at about 20 past three. So, like, I mean, full daylight. So, most of this, or, well, not most of it, but a significant portion of it was happening essentially in broad daylight uh, and appeared to, uh, again, on. I'm saying this on the basis of videos that I've seen, not on the basis of personal experience, because I was worried that if I did go and have a look at this big Russian celebration, there could end up being a Samara drunk fail, and I wouldn't be talking to you from Kuramok International <laughs> Airport at all, but shamefacedly from uh, a location in Moscow, having missed this flight. Well, that didn't happen. I am here in Samara. I missed a big Russian celebration. However, they're playing Croatia on Saturday, and I will be back in Moscow for that one. So we'll see what kind of result they get then. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say a bizarre kind of a game. Not that bizarre in that you had one team who set up unbelievably defensively. Forget about two banks of four. It seems to be two banks of five defenders uh, with not much space in between the two lines for a lot of the game. But a situation that Spain had been faced with many times. What was so effective about the way Russia did it that got them ultimately to the penalty shooter that they so craved? Well, it was a game that unfolded, I thought, along very classic lines. But, you know, in, in terms of a, an attack against defense game. Uh, but the attacking team wasn't really at it. And the defensive team was really up for it. And the conditions, as usual in Russia, I suppose, favored the home side. Uh, they do have... Uh, they had <laughs> The siege situation is not unknown here. And they've often uh, come through. 
uh, come through these these types of uh, these types of encounters. The pitch, I would say, was actually a big part of it. Uh, the pitch was slow and sticky. I mean, they did water a bit before the game, but it was hot for the day. So, you know, I mean, this is a city where, you know, there's, there's like these sort of trucks that go around spraying like hoses of water, like on the road. I'm like, what, what are they doing? Like, I mean, it's just a, it's like imagine a big truck, like a fire truck sized truck going along, like with, with these big powerful hoses, just squirting jets of water on the road. What is the point of this? Apparently it's something to do with like dust or like, um, trying to keep down the, the uh, overall dust levels because it is a dry, hot, dusty city at this time of year. And it was a dry, hot uh, day at the stadium and I think a very sticky, slow pitch. So Spain are trying to pass the ball around the way they do, but it isn't really skidding around the way that it does at the new Camp under the lights, you know, on those Champions League nights. It was sort of rolling around like a kind of the lawn bowls club. Uh, and the Spanish players were sort of passing the ball to each other, but it was all a little bit slow and stately and sedate. And actually had a very sedative effect on everybody who saw it. Um, a kind of a hypnotic effect, this slowly rolling white orb going around these, uh, between these, being passed between these red-shirted men, while these, um, this uh, little phalanx of white-shirted men stood and watched them in a tight little block with this one little guy in a red shirt in the middle of all those guys. Diego Costa, what's he doing? What? Diego Costa looked like some kind of a prisoner. He looked like a, a guy who'd been taken prisoner by stormtroopers and they were all standing around him and he was just, he's like, what am, you know, does anyone want to try and pass me the ball here? I mean, Spain in the game had more than 1,100 passes, so they smashed all the World Cup passing records. I mean, which... Obviously, it's something to do with the game going to extra time and Russia not really being interested in trying to, trying to um, you know, have the ball themselves or, or being incapable of keeping the ball when they did get it. But they managed to pass the ball 1,100 times between themselves, of which 14 passes went to Diego Costa, which I think shows you what an absolute shambles Spain were in this game. I mean, in terms of uh, passing, yes, domination as well, yes. Uh, good skills in possession, yes. Wouldn't it be great if Ireland were able to do a bit of that from time to time? Yeah, I'm sure it would. But at the same time, how ineffective can you possibly... I mean, this is one of the most ineffective displays of total domination that there's, that, uh, there's ever been, I think, in a high-profile uh, football match. They just could not get into the area of the pitch around and in front of the Russian penalty area that Russia were defending. Russia were saying... If you want to go down the wings, that's fine. Cross it in, we'll head it away. If you want to shoot from distance, that's okay. You know, we reckon uh, that's a good way to play against you guys. But the one thing we're not going to let you do is pass the ball in, around, in and around the D where you can play the sort of little one-two that you want to play, get somebody in on goal and score against us. We're not going to allow that. That's We're going to give everything to stop that happening. And I think for the combination of different uh, factors, the sort of slow pitch, the extremely disciplined um, uh, Russians, you know, the, the sacrifices that they made sort of physically. I mean, they were all exhausted. Uh, they ran, as, as usual, uh, a great deal. Even if, if, if this was little shuttling runs to shut down space as opposed to big, long counter-attacking runs to, to try to score goals. And, you know, in the end, in the end Spain, Spain just couldn't do it. They just did not have the physical and mental sharpness to think their way through this big cage of, of Russian defenders that was set up. They couldn't do it. If you notice, the match, it started raining uh, in extra time, and there was a sudden sort of a downpour. And what happened after that? Spain suddenly started looking a bit more dangerous. Well, because the ball was moving a bit quicker. And also, I suppose they brought on like Rodrigo and Aspas, who were running a little bit, trying different things, not just passing the ball around pointlessly at the back, Passing it pointlessly, passing it pointlessly, never any incision. Iniesta had come on, I think, on 70, 65, 70 minutes. He was the only one who even seemed to be aware of the problem, lads. Like, we're actually going to have to try and get into that, like, danger area. That means that we're going to actually have to try to pass the ball in there or maybe run in there. Even if we run in there with the ball and, and dive and get a free kick, that would be better than just passing the ball around in this big C shape outside. Um, but, you know, Iniesta tried. Iniesta actually was probably the player who came closest 
Um, he had a couple of, uh, he had one save from Akinfeev, one in extra time that he didn't really strike well enough. Um, nobody else managed to do it. And it's goodbye, Spain. Yeah, and at least Russia will be able to answer the question that we've long asked. Can a team win a World Cup with a 38-year-old centre-half lumbering around, kicking balls into his own net? We will find that out over the next couple of weeks, Ken. We're going to talk to Philippe Auclair about France and their incredible performance very shortly. But Johnny Dolan asks, how's that for bare-chested cannonball-facing French flair, Ken? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I don't know. This was like... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I have to, I mean, Mbappe is phenomenal. Mbappe is a, is an amazing player. Um, and we've talked about him before, Owen. I'm sure just as you, just as you're going to replay my, my analysis of my pre-match analysis of Russia, Spain, saying that I thought Russia had a chance. Um, I'm sure that you'll go and through the archives and find me uh, saying that Mbappe is like way better than Neymar and, you know, move aside Neymar. You're barely fit to, to tie this guy's shoelaces. We've lost that audio, I'm afraid, Ken. That audio has disappeared. You've lost the the audio from last week? No, just you talking about how great Mbappe is. I just, I can't, can't, we can't locate it. Okay, okay. Well, 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 it's, it's there somewhere. It's there. It's one of the, it's one of the things that I said that turned out not to be wrong. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't immediately proven wrong. Uh, But Mbappe is amazing. And I thought the best moment of the game was just his run for the penalty. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was like, look at this guy. You know, it was so exciting from the moment he got the ball inside his own um, inside his own half, just sort of uh, roaring past players. I mean, also it was then a, a stunning Rocco moment. It's like, oh no, Marco, no! You mean to say that the goal that you scored was only so that you could do this? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, Mbappe had gone past him, but was going away from goal. I mean. I, it was, it was the worst thing that he could have done at that moment. It was like a pure sort of, oh, I can't believe I've just been beaten so easily. Ugh. It was like he couldn't take being made to look so slow and decide, and just instinctively fouled, even though it was like the worst decision that he could make at that point. Um, France scored, and I thought, okay, well, France are... Mm, this is, you know, this this is exactly the start France wanted. It's probably not the start the game needed if it was going to be a classic game. But then France were just so miserly. I thought in the few in the in the minutes following that, they were so sort of well. Looks like we have you where we want you now, Argentina. You have to chase the game. We France can simply sit back and wait for the gaps to appear. And then Mbappe and Griezmann can charge through them. And, you know, again, France sort of neglected to, to do anything. I mean, we saw, we saw Spain did. Spain managed to take the lead, but they didn't really try to add to the lead. And France didn't try to add to the lead. And so I thought when Di Maria pulled out this amazing goal to punish them and, and equalise, I thought they so deserved at that point to get stung. But I think maybe maybe the, 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 the turning point of the match is actually the second Argentina goal, which you couldn't say was really deserved. I mean, Argentina were so terrible. I mean, they, they played worse. It was it was certainly worse than their performance against um, Nigeria. But somehow, miraculously, they were ahead. And I think it was France were fortunate that they got this massive slap in the face early enough to come back. Now, actually, I thought the same thing when Spain had conceded the equaliser against Russia. I thought, well... You know, I'm I'm not hugely surprised that this has happened, but they do at least have time now to kind of remember what they were supposed to be doing in this game and, and take control all over again. But France suddenly started to play actually good football. We finally started to see this. Now they got back into the game with like a, a miracle <laughs> a miracle goal, which I understand was described by Jerry Canning as what was this phrase? unceremoniously booted at home. Yeah, it was something along those lines. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a little bit uh, of, a, of a higher level <laughs> type of strike than that. It was a beautifully sort of sliced shot, you know, that flew into the net. I mean, sliced, I mean, in the sense that a tennis player plays a shot with slice. Not in the sense that it's usually used in football, meaning like miss hit. This was like a shot which was, which went exactly where he wanted it to go. And it was one of those, like a long-range goal. A friend of mine said, 
these well, I love those slow motion long range goals <laughs> where the ball just doesn't even really seem to move that fast but very truly on a trajectory into the corner so that was France back in the game and then Mbappe I mean the the first goal that he scored was brilliant although the goalkeeper clearly should have used his, his foot uh, rather than try to go down with his hand I mean he, he almost took his foot out of the way of the ball as he went as he tried to get his hand down to it I think maybe just kicking it away with the foot would have been what David De Gea did. David De Gea, though, you know, I'm about to talk about how great David De Gea is, and, and like the Spanish, Spanish press are like, oh, David De Gea is the main reason why we failed. If you include all the penalties, he only saved one out of 11 shots on target. He conceded 10 of 11 shots. Um, I'm not sure David De Gea really deserves to be blamed for uh, Spain, given that he was possibly the least involved man ever to play four ma matches for his country at... A World Cup. I'm, I would be amazed if anybody has had to do less than David De Gea over the course of four World Cup matches. So it seems a bit much to sort of yeah. blame him. But you know, I think maybe he's he's the kind of goalkeeper who might have saved that shot from Mbappe. Against that, you got to consider: okay, Mbappe has absolutely belted that from pretty close to the goal, and yeah, it's not surprising that it ends up in the net. It's really the move to to actually make the space. That was the brilliant part of it. And then there's just his fourth goal where Argentina seems to have seemed to have been stunned into uh, total paralysis and appeared not to notice France um, uh, taking, uh, you, know, you know, starting off the move and then simply passing through their midfield. And Argentina are still sort of sleepwalking around and they don't notice what's going on. Uh, and somehow it's just played through by Giroud to Mbappe who arrives at the right moment and finishes off the move and at that point okay that's it and again Argentina gave up um, or continued to continue to give up uh, right up until the last couple of minutes when Messi <laughs> flights in an unbelievable ball for Aguero to score a quite brilliant goal and then there's this frenzy last two minutes and then it's all over and Argentina are left to think well given how sort of insane that game was just in terms of the goals that were flying in Maybe if we had kind of really upped it a little bit more instead of accepting our fate, you know, um, maybe it could have turned out differently. But they were never really good enough. I mean, in terms of whether it was French flair, that was the thing. You know, it's, it's, I mean, Mbappe is brilliant. He's brilliantly suited to the kind of game, you know, France, France were trying to play. They were better in the second half. They were particularly better, obviously, when they, when they went 2-1 uh, down. Uh, and maybe that will help them to, to sort of, you know, to discover a little bit of confidence and a bit of swagger uh, against Uruguay. Although, I don't know if you saw Griezmann's comments. Uh, no. Where he was talking, Griezmann was talking about Uruguay and saying, oh, Uruguay will try to drag us into a boring, horrible game. Um, they'll, you know, just like Atletico do. You know, we've got to try and make sure we don't fall for that. And I was like, you actually play for Atletico, mate. Like, you're not really supposed to... <laughs> sort of talk about them in, in quite these disparaging terms. I mean, I suppose he, maybe he's just uh, maybe he's just value neutral. You know, Griezmann isn't one of these guys who thinks one form of, you know, that boring football isn't necessarily any worse than exciting football. To him, it's simply all just football. There's more than, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And it will be very interesting to see him up against those... Um, up against his uh, Letico teammates in that uh, in that match. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, I don't. Know, I was about to say a great game. That'll be a great. It'll be a compelling game. There's no doubt. But they have obviously Uruguay have the quality up front as well. There's a tweet from Sir Harry Padgett Flashman here who says to think there were in inverted commas experts who doubted that Cavani is world class. It's you blame us, Ken. It's our listeners who put you up on these things. Yeah, maybe I was one of those. Um, maybe it's you know swings around a bit. Mbappe, <laughs> Cavani. Yeah, I mean Cavani. It's, it's one of the best goals I've ever seen someone score with their face. Um, I mean, it was a great goal. The whole, the whole thing. Like, it's a 1-2. Oh, oh, is, oh, is it a 1-2? There's a bit of debate about that. Is it a 1-2 well, if the receiver of the ball two, takes a few touches before passing it back? Yeah, yeah. It's like um, a 1-2, I think, should be a first-time return ball, which obviously it's not. But Cavani you. plays the original diagonal ball, which is a beautiful ball. As far as then swerves in that uh, stupendous cross and Cavani's cheekbone, his, uh, his elegantly chiseled cheekbone, <laughs> sends the ball flying into the top quarter. Um, and then the second goal was a real nice uh, all-in-one sort of fluid move. Although, I didn't, did you, what did you think of the goalkeeper? Do you think maybe the goalkeeper might have, you know, kind of, is it a bit obvious what he's going to try to do? Is it a bit sort of, 
into the middle of the goal a little bit. I don't know. When you hit a first time like that, Ken, you're catching the keeper on the hop. We're going to have to finish the report on sport because there's so much more to get into. Good luck for everyone. And here it goes. Denmark, Republic of Ireland. When we look down at the Irish squad, it's not that many names that ring a bell. We have the slight upper hand in these two games. But I'll tell you something, he went down in my estimation when he said that. We have the slight upper hand in these two games. I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. Why do we have to listen to that garbage? We have not resorted to that. It's always tough to play any British British, British team. Can I appeal to the British government to please leave our country? It's always tough to play any British team. A lot of things have been said over the last few days. Some of it slanderous. I mean, I actually was abused by Dane. Abused by Dane as well the night before. Come on, Ken. Is there a Wi-Fi? Uh, actually, we're just still on the 3G. Before we could finish explaining we weren't actually on the Wi-Fi, he goes, Wi-Fi wankers! You're all Wi-Fi wankers. Ken, you caught up with a couple of journalistic titans after the game outside the stadium in Moscow? Yeah, and I, um, we were uh, leaving the game on the, on the way to town. Uh, I spoke uh, to Sid Lowe, who'd had only one hour of sleep in the preceding, oh, God knows how long, having been at the Uruguay game in Sochi um, uh, and then flying up to Moscow to do the Spain game. Uh, and also uh, Barney Rone, uh, both of The Guardian. Sid, um, I haven't really spoken to you yet about the game, so I just want to know, first of all, what's your initial reaction and feeling about what happened there? Um, the, obviously, Fernando Guerrero after the game was talking about the fine lines, and, and I suppose up to a point you can you can understand that because this was a penalty shootout. It was a penalty shootout in which David De Gea gets a touch, I think, on three of the penalties that he faces and, and can't save them. But I don't think that when you look back at the World Cup as a whole, I don't think when you look back at today's game that you can really put it down to, to bad luck or, or fine margins even if they, they play a part because Spain have largely underperformed and underperformed quite dramatically I think at this World Cup yeah, I thought they were very good for maybe what 50 minutes 60 minutes in the first game against Portugal yeah. I thought they were very good for perhaps 25 minutes against Morocco I thought they were largely pretty poor against Iran admittedly a very defensive team and it's not easy to break a team like that down even if you are Spain even if you are a team that's got creativity and of course they came up against something similar today um, but you know when when Russia scored the penalty it was their second shot on target yeah it's 1-1 and Spain haven't had any at that point and, and Spain I felt you know it's true that as the game got a little bit frantic towards the end it's true as they accelerated a bit particularly with Aspas on the pitch and then with Rodrigo they did make chances and they could have found a way through but, but I think in the context of what you expect from Spain in the context of the quality of the players they've got this has been a really poor World Cup but then I suppose if you look at the broader context of everything that's happened maybe that shouldn't surprise us too much Well, uh, well what do you mean by the last bit? Well, the, the fu- very fundamental and basic fact that, that two days before Spain began their World Cup campaign, they, they discover that their manager is going to Real Madrid, so they, then they sack him. They bring in Fernando Hierro, who had no intention of being a manager. In fact, in an interview a day and a half before he becomes Spain manager, he's asked, will you ever be Spain manager one day? And he says, it's not something I'm even contemplating. Um, then I think there's a, there's a slightly broader element as well, which is that I think it would be easy now to say, well, look, Spain have failed because they didn't have a manager and, and, and you know Fernando Hierro wasn't necessarily a, a proper manager. But you look at those last two um, friendlies that they played before the World Cup, they were both very, very flat as well while Lopetegui was still there. And I think there was a sense then that this isn't quite right. And Iago Aspas said, said something quite interesting after those two friendlies. He said, the truth is, we feel less optimistic now that we've come together than we did before we came together. And I must admit as well that on those first couple of days of the, the squad get-together with Spain, I thought there's a real quiet confidence about this team. They really do think they can do it. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the whole thing starts to, starts to collapse. How much that has a direct influence on the way you play, it's, you know, it's, it's like so often when we talk about reasons why teams fail there are lots of reasons and maybe at the same time sometimes there are kind of no reasons Barney uh, what did you think of it I mean it's I kind of felt watching it that I've seen this game I don't know like a hundred times before this exact game you sort of know what can happen it was like one of those Mourinho uh, Barcelona games you know it was that type of thing I mean did you uh, were you surprised by what happened Uh, a bit I mean it was the same game um, but worse I've got a bit of a sort of cold at the moment one of those ones that makes you feel slightly warm and sort of fluey a little bit 
And as the game wore on, I couldn't work out whether it was the game or the illness that was making me feel slightly fluey and dizzy and unable to concentrate, palms sweating. And it was it was a really strange game, a really strange experience. I mean, a really good, a game of counterattack. Not a fundamentally shit game. I mean, that was well, that not the bottom that's line. That's one way of looking at it. Yeah. But a, a game of counterattack versus. Um, sort of a position football can be a sort of classic clash of styles yeah. but this was a really bad clash of styles it was like bad bad counter-attack against bad possession football which made for a bad uh, clash of styles it was like watching two well-matched but slightly mediocre boxers in the ring and it was never going to end and no one was ever going to knock anyone else out Sid, uh, Barney's saying there that it was bad. I mean, okay, Russia are, are not very good. You could see every time that they went on a counter-attack, uh, you know, they, they actually struggled to put two passes together. They couldn't they couldn't sort of make them count. But, you know, are, is Spain's style bad? I mean, there, there's this there's this team that was being developed in the um, press conference afterwards by Diego Torres and indeed before the match, uh, in which he... He, he, he presented the dropping of Iniesta as another betrayal of the style that had made Spain great. Uh, is this a team that's kind of consciously moved away from, you know, what used to make it good? Or is it just that Iniesta is very old now and recently said he was empty and had nothing left to give? And maybe uh, it's time to stop expecting a player at that stage of his career to sort of decide the whole thing in the World Cup. Yeah, I think there's a much bro- there's been a, a broader debate over the last couple of weeks, um, which is about that style. And, and as you say, Diego has been very clear that what he feels is that there is, if you like, almost a betrayal of that style by the current Spain team. I think what's been interesting over the last week, in particular after the Morocco game, is there has been a call for them to betray the style, which is the first time we've heard that. We've heard the media talk. Um, big chunks of media and a lot of fans as well talk over the last couple of weeks of you know we need more muscle we need more bodies in there we need more athletes in there and this is what's what's interesting about that I think in a way is that this is something that hadn't been said before you know it hadn't been said since 2008 certainly hadn't been said since 2010 when one of the things that we all um, kind of embrace this idea and I you know I include myself in this that what Spain had done by winning the World Cup with this style with this identity wasn't just change their history but possibly change their future as well you know create a roadmap to follow mm. and in, over the last week it's been really really interesting to hear people talk about change this guy kick this guy out of the team do that one do the other one well who are and, they talking about well lots of players this is the thing almost all the players had someone have a go people complain about Costa people complaining obviously about De Gea people complaining about Thiago but what was interesting is that a lot of the focus was on those players who perhaps best express the the Spanish style so Thiago Silva and Iniesta Um, and I thought well one of the interesting things I thought about this was this if this is purely based on how you've performed at the tournament no one pointed at the finger who for me has been the worst performer in Spain in this tournament which is Sergio Ramos Oh, really? I mean, I suppose they have let in a lot of goals, but the, the other thing I noticed about the three players you originally named there is none of them play in Spain. Does that have anything to do with it? I mean, Diego Costa, David De Gea and uh, Thiago are all uh, foreign-based. Well, Diego Costa isn't anymore, of course, but he is a foreigner, and I think, there's a, I think, there's an ele- I think there is an element of that. Um, but no, I think with Costa, it's, there was a sense that he didn't fit the style. But as I say, there is the, the, the flip side of that is someone saying him not fitting the style is a good thing. You know, we need to break away from the style. And I think there is a there, there has been a debate around Spain's identity and Spain's style for genuinely for the first time since they won the European Championships, or certainly since the first time since they won the World Cup. And I I, I think that's quite interesting. And I think that tells you that there is a lack of certainty now, yeah. which, as you say, up to a point, it's natural. Iniesta's just played his last international game. PK's played his last international game it wouldn't be a huge surprise if Ramos followed them I think he'll he'll stay on but those that generation of players bit by bit is going you know Puyol went Villa went Torres went Xavi went Iniesta went and it's quite difficult to maintain the same style but the problem is that we have this whole discourse of ah but this style is eternal now and it's not eternal it's not no Barney just the last thing uh, I want to ask you it's it's about the half of the draw so I mean are you getting excited it's um it's all set up for Gareth and the boys, isn't it? No, I, mean, it, 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 I mean, it is, though. It really that, is. That result, um, the enormous egg that's hanging over Gareth Southgate's face, waiting to kind of break <laughs> on it, is now it's close to hatching. I mean, that result, all you need now is for Belgium to beat Japan 7-0 yeah. uh, and then England to lose to Colombia. And the idea of duking the draw in favour of your 
you know nailed on finalists uh, becomes even more ridiculous but every other team in that side will be thinking the same thing and there's no reason why England should expect to beat Switzerland Sweden Colombia Russia Croatia or Denmark um, yeah. Croatia look the strongest team in that half uh, the thing about England is a lot of the players just aren't very good and we haven't seen that at this World Cup yeah. um, and I suspect we may do soon um, but Tuesday's going to be epic it really is I'm, I'm really looking forward to it they're all pampered we haven't got leaders they're all just headphones they don't communicate you can't get anything out of them that's why we're no good they're all just headphones they don't communicate on the pitch they don't communicate off the pitch they're all pampered oh we're getting ready for Russia good luck and then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's halves. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. England will after four minutes. And they still Maggie Thatcher, your guys took a hell of a beating. Maggie Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, my word. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just saying, Sigthorsson. (laughs) just cannot... So Spain are gone. Next up for Russia, it's Croatia in the, dare we say it, good half of the draw. Kieran, you were a big believer in this narrative and it it is shaping up rather nicely now that Spain are knocked out of it. Just got a little better, didn't it? Have you seen the, it's not that complicated, but the list going around now of the teams, one of whom will be in a World Cup final. Russia, Croatia, Sweden, Switzerland, England, Colombia. Yeah. So we've got a bit of a novelty factor there. I mean, England have been in it a long, long time ago. Uh, well, they're not there yet, Owen. Yeah. I mean, you're counting your chickens there, yeah, Owen, but yeah, the fact yeah. of the matter is they've got a couple of World Cup games to win before then. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you would even have said before last night, Croatia looked like the class of that half of the draw, and then they played so poorly for so long uh, yesterday and actually look afraid to go and win this World Cup as well. Like, at root level, I don't... Do they have the stones on is what I'm asking you. And I'm not entirely sure that Croatia have the stones for it. Well, surely Luka Modric has them after missing his penalty in normal time and then nailing it in extra time. Ken, what do you think? Nailing it? Ah, yeah, right down the middle. Gave the keeper the eyes, rolled it down the middle. Perfect penalty. It's one of the closest near misses to to a save that I've ever seen. It's amazing to me, actually, that Michael didn't save it, considering how unbeatable he uh, appeared to have become. Uh... I, I didn't think I would see the day when Casper became a, a bigger alpha than uh, than old Peter, but uh, I think that uh, I think that just happened. I think that was one of the things that that actually happened there. Big, shouty, gesticulating Casper Schmeichel, who I think has many of the qualities and perhaps some of the faults of his old man, um, but I think uh, that that kind of extremely hmm. I don't know how would you how would you describe how would you describe that uh, personality? What's that sort of personality trait? Um, overbearing. Certainly, certainly a bit overbearing. I'm thinking bumptious. Mm, is that mm, uh, he, just you know that sort of? You could see him shouting at the referee. Watch him! Watch him! As as the I, mean, I don't know what the of the he was complaining about the penalty takers. Um, Shuffling. Oh, or, it, was, or it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, he, exactly. He was complaining about the you know you're allowed to take a bit of a stutter, but it, it's I've seen it a few times this World Cup. Players seem to almost entirely stop. Ramos kind of did it as well, Ramos, actually. Yeah, yeah, but but Ramos but it, it, yeah. he had a cheek complaining about that because you wouldn't have seen the Brian Kerr. Oh, no, well, I, I was. Owen, what do you think? What do you think we were talking about in Moscow? Ah. What do you think? What do you think we were talking about? I was watching it with uh, with uh, Joe Callahan and Daniel McDonald, two uh, two Irish journalists. What do you think we were all talking about? We didn't have Brian Kerr and but we all were thinking the yeah. very same thing, looking at some of this nonsense. Why aren't these guys getting sent off? 
why hasn't Casper Schmeichel just been shown a big fat red card <laughs> by the football authorities? Why instead has he been given a man of the match award and, and tearful goodbyes from the Russians who've never seen anything so amazing? Even though all he's done is basically run out and charge down all these penalties <laughs> like a maniac. Oh, you know, so I suppose, uh, suppose a little bit of refereeing inconsistency there, Owen. Although I suppose maybe one is UEFA, one is FIFA, maybe the splits in how we interpret the rules. But yeah, I mean, the, the goalkeepers were jumping off the line. But oh, they should be allowed to do it. Like it's... Penalties are too easy, especially if you're going to have penalties all the time, like penalties for everything in every match. Let the goalkeeper come come off the line. Like, I mean, it's, well, it's well, 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 hold on. But if, even, if you yeah. let him come off the line, how far? By that token, he can literally stand in front of the ball if you don't limit. If, you don't, if there's no rule in place, and just block it. Well, I mean, I, I don't mean like that. The goalkeeper can run forward and kick the ball away, like 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 the Zaire guy in 1974. I mean, but. You know, as as the guy is running up, I don't think the goalkeeper should. I don't think there should be a problem with the goalkeeper stepping off the line. I mean, like it's easy enough to score a penalty. I don't mind if it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, our penalty shootout's not way better when everyone is missing. I mean, how much probably, more dramatic? Yeah. How much more dramatic is it when you see players missing? You see, you see this succession of like shattered, shattered men. Uh, <laughs> shattered footballers oh no, I can't believe it I've just let down my country Chris, guys be... like Christian Eriksen you know people of that stature yeah <laughs> my my Danish relative uh, I, I have a Danish uh, a Danish uh, a Danish woman Trina who's married to my cousin Alan uh-huh. uh, texted the family what's up Eriksen can fly home in shame which I thought was a bit harsh given um the big contribution he'd made to getting Denmark to where they were, but not much forgiveness there, I'm afraid. No. Peter uh, Schmeichel had a very nice tweet in the last couple of hours. Lost for words. Can't be more proud of my country, my son, his teammates, all the staff, and our fantastic national coach, Aga Haraida. When all the tears have dried out, we will realise how well we did. Accompanied by a beautiful picture of himself and a very young Casper walking hand in hand, both in their Peter Schmeichel goalkeeping kits around the Old Trafford turf back in the day. Ah, uh, little, uh, little Casper and Big Pete. That's uh, kind of the roles are reversed. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just thinking of Casper on the on the flight home today, just sitting there. I should not be on this flight. You, you guys really let me down. I'll tell you something. You let me down. You let me down. You know, I, I mean, not that, not that, not that Casper Schmeichel is the kind of person who would who would pull people up uh, on their errors, or, or who would, in the spirit of of honest, uh, constructive criticism point out that um, he had kept Denmark in the game and it was very unfortunate that various teammates of his had um, had not been up to the same task. All right, let's get into this French team which has started to roll. So we thought we'd check in with Philippe Auclair. Philippe, great to chat to you. A very good day to you. Uh, you must have enjoyed that performance, particularly the individual performance of young Kylian Mbappe. I enjoyed the individual performances more than the collective performance, but you're absolutely right. There, there were some individual performances which were simply superb. And uh, Mbappe, of course, um, stealing the, the limelight. I don't know actually if stealing is the right word. Uh, earning the right to, <laughs> to be in the limelight. Um, confirming all the wonderful things we've been thinking about him. And also putting to rest some, some doubts uh, some people had uh, as late as uh, the spring as to whether he was managing, you know, his ascent to a superstardom, really, as, as well as he could. And the answer is a resounding yes. Um, just as impressive on the pitch than he is off it, which is really saying something. And what a talent we've got. What, what a wonderful, wonderful talent in every single way as well. Uh, is the way, is it pure joy? Is it joy to watch, on the, on, to, to playing, and joy to watch, joy to, to see how he himself, is taking pleasure from what he does and is reveling in his own talent and the way he puts this talent at the service of the team. So I think that, uh, yeah, I'm rather effusive about him, but I think everybody is at the moment and rightly so. Absolutely. And it's an interesting point you raised about how he's handled himself so far, but he's stepping up to another level now. I mean, the Pele comparisons are being made because he he, uh, is the first player since Pele to score goals in a knockout game as a teenager. The last person, the last player I can really remember the Pele comparisons being made with was Wayne Rooney back in year 2004. Again, similarly because he was making an impact at a major international tournament. Do you think Mbappe has shown up to now that he has got the right mindset to deal with this kind of stuff and to keep producing for the rest of the tournament? 
Yes, given the fact that he's been earmarked for um, um, a career in football from a very young age, given the fact that he's been um, the target of um, Europe's biggest clubs for a very long time already, and we, when I say, I say a very long time, we're talking about a player who's only 19 years of age. But it's true, you know, when he was, you know, we all know that he went to Chelsea for a, you know, for a week, and when he was 11, then he was certainly um, a target for clubs like like Real Madrid and so forth. Uh, they've made the right choices so far. Uh, his entourage is obviously of the highest quality, uh, his family that is. And um, he's already had to cope with an awful lot. You know, going from Monaco, um, where he was such a, a huge uh, asset in winning the title, uh, winning the impossible title, and, and also his performances in the Champions League, I think he's, you know, he's taken all of this pretty much in his stride. And then the move to, to Paris Saint-Germain. So he's already had to cope with an awful lot when you think about it. And it's now only a confirmation of uh, on the world stage of what has happened on the French and European stage. And um, he seems to be gifted with such an, an extraordinarily mature character in the way he presents himself, in the way he comes across, in the way he talks to people. That yeah, um, he, he he's again he's taking it in his stride, and I think he's taking it much better and managing it much better than quite a few players who are five or six years older than he is, and who also are in in the public eye. And you've seen his reaction when he was compared to Pelé. He basically laughed it off, said that's ridiculous. You know, very nice. Thank you very much, guys. But he's won three World Cups. You know, I'm, and we we're in the quarters. Maybe can we we can stop right here right now. So. Um, yeah, uh, also the way he's uh, dealing with um, uh, things such as um, uh, social networks, the way he's dealing with uh, sponsors, advertisements and so forth, is very, very, very careful, very well advised again, taking things slowly. And uh, the result of that is, is a player who has got everything um, in, in, in both in his, I was going to say in his locker, technically speaking, but also is, I think, mentally and psychologically and emotionally equipped to deal with the demands that are going to be made of him uh, in, the, in the months and the years to come. And uh, which, of course, you know, we don't know how far France is going to go and how deep they're going to go in this competition. Uh, more about this later. But it's true that he's, um, you know, he's jumped to another level just because it is the World Cup. Didi Haman made a point on Irish television last night that usually the sharpest players mentally are the slow ones. They're the, the young kids who grow up as not the fastest player on the pitch so they have to think their way out of situations. Whereas Mbappe impresses him and impresses a lot of us because he, he was obviously born with pace and power and, and, and a very graceful running ability. And yet he seems to have developed a very sharp football brain at the same time. For yes. example, that, that, that first goal he scored, you know, just the presence of mind to, to take a touch and know exactly what he has to do with the second touch to then set himself up for the shot. It's not always uh, something you see in, in, a, in a sort of power, pacey kind of player. Absolutely. And um, he's somebody who managed to think slow and, and move fast or to think fast and move slow or to think fast and move fast. <laughs> he's able to do all of these things. When he's on one, of, one of his runs, you always have the feeling that he knows exactly what he's doing, that there's an aim to what... It, it's not aimless running. It's not aimless dribbling. It's the, in, in a way, is um, the very opposite of, of a show pony. He has got all the tricks in the book, absolutely every single one of them, but you'll see that the choices are made, with a very few exceptions, uh, with a purpose in mind. And that is always one move ahead, which is why he, he, he reminds me, obviously the player he reminds me the most of is certainly not Pelé, but it's Thierry Henry. But he reminds me of the Thierry Henry um, of 2002 to 2004, that is a much more, uh, an older Thierry Henry. Um, is, is way, way beyond at where Thierry was at the same age, way beyond that. But he shares with him as well this incredible intelligence, the capacity to think at speed, uh, and, you know, the capacity of, uh, when presented with a thousand different options in a thousandth of a second, he will choose the right one more, more often than not, not always, but more often than not. And that's what marks out the truly exceptional players uh, from the only, from, from the very good ones. And there's absolutely no doubt, but there's never been any doubt that he was an exceptional player. You said you've thrown in a couple of little qualifiers about the performance as a whole. Um, yeah. It sounds like, Philippe, you were, you, you, Oh, come on, you must have been impressed by this free-wheeling, free-flowing French football that we were all waiting for, maybe not? Um, I don't think it was free-flowing. 
That, that's the thing. Um, I, I know, and I've taken a lot of flack for that. Um, I, I always think that we, we should not certainly um, uh, underrate the, the performance the, of, uh, of the French national team against Argentina. But we, we, we can relativize it. We have to put it in context. We have to put it in context that they were playing against probably the feeblest Argentinian team that's attended the post-war um, World Cup. Certainly, the most, um, the one lacking the most cohesion and pace at the back, and uh, they were awful. I mean, we should not forget that they were facing an absolutely awful uh, opponent uh, who still put three goals past them. First thing. Second thing, this I, I could still see the same lack of intensity in, in, in pressing, or rather, the it's a thing. It's a thing that Deschamps doesn't want to do. He doesn't want his team to press high up the pitch. Now that's fine against. Uh, a team like Argentina, which is very, very slow in possession, uh, slower than the, than Spain, which is really saying something. So you can do that, and you let them have the ball, and you counter at pace. And when France counters at pace, they are absolutely fantastic. And uh, they can also, I mean, it's true that, for example, I think it's the first Mbappe goal, which starts with Hugo Loris. That's a beautiful move. Uh, that, that really got me going, I must say. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I... I can't see that it was the sternest test that could have been put to this French team. I think that Uruguay, I'm actually really worried about Uruguay. Uh, I think Uruguay has got exactly what it takes to really annoy this French team, particularly if Edinson Cavani is past fit. So yes, there, there are qualifiers for this performance, but what is in progress is, is the um, individual performances of some of the players. Uh, we've talked about Kylian Mbappe, but I think you know Paul Pogba had one of his better games for France, yeah. certainly. And Golo Kante is simply the best defensive midfielder on the planet and he's showing it almost every time he's on the pitch. It's absolutely, he was magnificent yet again. Uh, Loris had a, had a very sound game as well. I really liked it. Raphael Varane looked a little bit more than the, than the central defender we, we think he can be. So there were loads of pluses. And of course, the, um, we seem to have found a, an, a solution to the fullback problem, which was one of the big ones before the tournament started. And... Uh, and that's one of the things that I would addition for. It made two very, very strong choices in, in getting Luca Hernandez late on and it's making him a starter and that's a very good choice. And also, and I really genuinely didn't think it, it would work, uh, playing uh, young Benjamin Favard on, on the, as a right back when he's played all of his career at VfB Stuttgart, his short career at VfB Stuttgart as a centre-back, and which is a proof of how, how good a footballer this, this young boy is. So um, plenty of things to be satisfied with, but absolutely no reason to get carried away, as I have seen people are getting carried away in France, where they genuinely think, wow, that's it, we're going to do it like 1998, um, you know, 20 years later. So um, quali I'm qualifying it, but I'm not, I, you know, I, I was happy with it. I was just not over the moon with it, as they say. <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely convinced that uh, it showed us that France had got what it took to go to the, you know, uh, as far as uh, uh, to go to the title. This being said, um, again, apart from, from Uruguay, um, which teams have been utterly convincing since the beginning of, this, of, of the World Cup? Yep. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. And you could say France, you know, we're used to those difficult group phases. Think, think about uh, 1998. It was not a doodle, actually. It was pretty, pretty grim. Uh, think of 2006. It was worse than that. And in one case, France won the competition. In the other case, they should have won it. So um, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's reason to be, to be hopeful, but I think this team is capable of so much, so much more than what it has shown so far. Well, we'll find out a lot more on Friday afternoon. That's when the Uruguay game is on. Philippe, lovely to mm -hmm. catch up. Thanks so much. Thank you. Owen McDevitt. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. Second captains. Those guys, are, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is Locke. The coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. Fuck all of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> all right. He said I was a soccer but look at me now all up in the interweb Owen McDevitt Worldwide the new world federator the championship 
Owen McDevitt. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at, is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Okay, Kieran, let's hit our listeners up with today's two quarterfinals, please, as the fun continues. Okay, Belgium against Japan That's is the on the evening it. game, right? Yeah, at seven o'clock. Uh, Belgium's easy victory. Uh, we we all presume we've been presuming a lot of things in this World Cup uh, to no avail. Uh, that's at seven o'clock, and then the three o'clock, the early kickoff is Brazil against Mexico. You're on the way to the stadium, Ken, or certainly you will be once we uh, once we let you go here. You giving Mexico a chance of a shock victory? Absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, this is a game as I as I mentioned before. I was at the Brazil Mexico game in 2014 in Fortaleza. Which actually, come to think of it, was, was played in quite similar conditions as today. Similar heat, stifling heat. Um, uh, that was uh, The difference, I suppose, was that it was a, a, a rabidly pro-Brazilian crowd in Fortaleza, whereas today it's going to be more balanced, maybe even a few more Mexicans, actually. Um, Mexico are the kind of team that, that sort of worry Brazil. I honestly think Brazil would rather have been playing Germany today. Yeah. Partly because of the of the way that um, well because because of the whole you know right okay boys you know it's it's not seven one anymore this is a new game let's see how this one goes and the fact that Germany have been playing in such a way a very kind of Spain like way passing the ball around lots of elegant control and like no intensity or they're, they're, you know a team that didn't really have why am I even talking about Germany they're gone home. <laughs> Mexico are a team with a lot more intensity, you know, as they showed against Germany. They've got players, they're prepared to run and work really, really hard. And they're familiar opponents for Brazil. And, you know, okay, Brazil would obviously consider themselves to be a couple of classes above Mexico, but I still think that they are a little bit more wary of Latin American opposition than of... I think they kind of feel European sides are a little bit more sort of predictable or maybe not as aware of Brazil's own strengths. And Brazil haven't really got rolling in this tournament yet. They've played some good stuff. Coutinho's been playing really well, you know. But has anybody else? Uh, you know, Douglas Costa was, was very good and he's out. He, he's injured, isn't he? Um, Douglas Costa was, was excellent when he came on as a substitute in the match against uh, Costa Rica. Um, and, and he won't be available today. You know, Gabriel Jesus, I think, has... Yeah, I mean, I saw some statistics that basically Gabriel Jesus is, is, is putting on a similar performance to Fred in the last World Cup. I mean, he's clearly a way better player than Fred, but in terms of his chances, you know, his shots, his, his, his thus far failure to, to really do anything with them, it's, um, it's a Fred-like performance, which he's going to have to snap out of. Could happen. Uh, at any moment, but if it if it perseveres today, then they could have a few problems. And then, sort of Neymar. I mean, I remember Neymar in that game uh, in 2014. He played excellently. Um, he nearly scored a brilliant header, uh, but it was Guillermo Ochoa, the same goalkeeper Mexico will have today, who who made a Gordon Banks like save to uh, to uh, to stop him from scoring. Um, so. I think it's going to be another another difficult game for Brazil, and I, you know I don't think they've played well enough for for people just to assume that they're going to sweep Mexico aside today. You know I don't really think it works that way. So I expect it to be sort of a tight game. And while yeah, I think I think Brazil should win, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't. Great stuff. I'd like to see Roberto Firmino myself uh, if I was a Brazilian fan um, come into that team. His Liverpool yeah, teammate, Mo, his Liverpool teammate Mo Salah. I don't know if you've heard this. He's been flying, but he's signed a new long term. Contract with Liverpool, yeah. yeah, no, no release clause, so good news there. Yeah, I saw, I saw that. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, I think Luis Suarez did it. Felipe uh, Coutinho did it, um, and they were obviously gone quite soon. But as for Salah, uh, I mean, he's had a, he's had, a, God, what a horrible few weeks. Everything has just sort of turned to ashes for him. I think he's sort of more preoccupied now with what's happening with um, with Egypt. I mean, if he's if he's thinking about football, obviously he's going he's going to be on holidays. But uh, he was tweeting also about Egypt. Well, he, I mean, he actually didn't say what he was tweeting about. He was sort of subtweeting the world. You know, he was saying something like, "Oh, it has to change. Things must change." And it seemed more likely that he was talking about Egypt rather than um, you know anything that was going on at Liverpool or 
or anything his 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 daughter was doing and wherever wherever they're staying on holidays you know it very, very much seemed to be the egyptian fa which was the subject of that uh, tweet i was speaking actually to an egyptian journalist and asking him what he thought about this whole situation situation he was like well you know the uh you know the English media that's like completely insane and every tournament completely screws everything up for England? Yeah, well, imagine that like times a billion. Uh, that's what's going on. That's kind of the, that's the usual story in Egypt. Um, but there was, they were talking about this, um, the, these journalists I was talking to were, were, were saying some quite interesting stuff about the Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia-Egypt game, which let's say, Owen, in Egypt, people have their suspicions as to, went on, as to what might have gone on in that game. There were a couple of odd penalty decisions and uh, obviously uh, an unexpected win for Saudi Arabia and uh, I suppose Egypt maybe um, the way things are there there's quite a lot of turmoil people tend to tend to see uh, dark forces at work uh, <laughs> if, if, there, if there were dark forces at work in a World Cup match that might be one um, that might be one that would sort of excite the uh, suspicions but I mean, what am I talking about? You know, Russia are in the quarterfinal, maybe the semifinal, maybe the final. I mean, what are we all going to be saying if Russia gets to the World Cup final? It's going to be interesting, I think, to see what, to see what the, um, you know, uh, what the papers in in the in England and so on. Because if because if Russia gets to the final, that means England must have been defeated at some point by one of the by one of the little countries they find themselves in in this mini World Cup that's happening on their side of the draw. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, if, if Russia do make it to the final, I think it will be. Uh, yeah, I think it'll we'll be all interesting. Have a, have, a, have a long, hard look at ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Wonder what the what the hell's been going on. Yeah, have a little think about about how to analyze that one. You can hear Ken's report from Brazil, Mexico, and the World Service tomorrow. Sign up on secondcaptains.com. You better go. Thanks, Ken. Thanks very much, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And thanks a million for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.